he looked at me and he said that now that I'm this age, I've realized that the things that I told you were supposed to make you successful and happy probably aren't necessarily the right things. This is the Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy, 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 folks. Welcome to episode 24 of the Intelligent Rebellion Podcast. My name is Ria Mercado and I am your host. Our guest today is Joy Adan, a creative consultant, an artist, a storyteller, a mom, wife, daughter, sister, all of the things. Joy and I speak about growing up in a Filipino household and what it's like to challenge our cultural norms, making some intentional decisions and the power of faith and stillness. For the past 10 years, Joy has been listening to the whispers in her own heart to seek out what truly is important in her life. She has deliberately invested her time and energy into people, businesses, and causes which make the world a better place. And she has leaned into the experiences which make her heart sing. Through both her voluntary work and her business, Joy is using her very, very awesome superpowers to encourage people to sit in the stillness, to define their own version of success, and to live a life of creativity and a life of kindness. Sit back, relax, be still. This is Joy Adan. All right. Hey, Joy, thank you so much for coming on to the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. How are you going? Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) Um, Do you want to introduce yourself in two minutes or less? Okay, so I am Filipino-born, Western Sydney-raised. My family moved to Australia when I was three years old. Um, And you know what? Even though I spent all of my childhood at least an hour away from the beach, I think that's probably... That's my happiest place. So I adore, you know, the feeling of sand in my toes and salt water on my skin. Um, I have moved around different parts of Sydney, but came back to Western Sydney when I started raising my family, I think mainly because, you know, best of food and family is out in Western Sydney, I reckon. I wear a lot of different hats. So depending on who's asking me, it will determine how I would introduce myself. I think the most the most common and consistent are that I am a wife, I'm a mum, I've got two sons. And I've always been um, a creator and a storyteller. So professionally, that's translated to a lot of different things. Kind of collated this very unconventional portfolio career. (laughs) So I started off studying multimedia production media, and then I went and did a postgrad in publishing and then was working in corporate comms for a while. And then about just under 10 years ago, left corporate comms, decided to go more into writing roles. And luckily for me, the the organizations that I've worked with in that space have all had a similar purpose and mission in that it was all around trying to make the world of work a better place and a lot happier than it usually is for a lot of people. So a lot of the content, a lot of research that I was doing in that space was really good because it kind of forced me to look at my work life and um, understand what was driving me at work, what was motivating me at work and what was keeping me at work. I'd say the last 18 months or so, I've been doing more freelancing content and creating work. And on a side hustle, I have my own little creative business. So I do a lot of calligraphy and lettering 
and yeah, lots of different things. <laughs> it was almost eight months ago that you wrote this post and it kind of just hit me right in the heart. And, and it was something to effect off you had a heart to heart with your dad and yeah. you decided to question what the meaning of success is. There's something that, that was part of that post was like you were trying to make time for the things that made you happy in your life, but also mm -hmm. how you were questioning how you could leave the world a better place than how you found it. Yeah. Unpack that for me. How did you get there? Because I think a lot of people are on the cusp of that, but they're not quite there. Yeah, it. I'll be honest, I had to really hit almost a rock bottom to get to that realization to that epiphany. So that post that you mentioned actually is about a conversation I would have had with my dad about almost under 10 years ago, just about 10 years ago. And I was working in corporate comms at a university with an amazing team and an incredible boss. But I was working and working and working and was miserable. I was trying to do all the things that I was raised to to believe were the things that would make me successful, you know, work hard, do my best, work my way up the corporate career ladder. And I knew I could do those things. There wasn't ever a doubt in my mind that if I really wanted to be in, in any sort of leadership position, I could have done that. But I think because of how unhappy I was, despite how hard I was working, I realized quite quickly that that is not actually what I wanted. And mm -hmm. I remember sitting down with my dad at his house one day. They were sitting there in their kitchen having merienda. And uh, <laughs> and he could tell, I think he could just tell that I was really tired. And he must have been going through something himself. But he sat me down and for the first time ever, he he articulated something I, hadn't, I just never would have thought he was even thinking about. And he looked at me and he said, I feel like you're really unhappy. And I just want to tell you that now that I'm this age, I've realized that the things that I told you were supposed to make you successful and happy probably aren't necessarily the right things. It floored me. I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And I find this common with a lot of other Filipinos that I've grown up with, mm -hmm. a lot of immigrant families, actually. My parents grew up in poor households. They worked really hard to get to where they were in the Philippines. They took a big risk, a big financial gamble and a relationship gamble to bring my family here. And, they, and the message I grew up with was, if you work hard, you can be anything, you can have everything and you could have the best. But my parents' version of success was what they were told success was. And that was mm -hmm. best salary, best job title and the things that would make other titos and titas impressed. There was a big onus on that, spoken and unspoken as I was growing mm -hmm. up. I am really grateful that my parents taught me the value of hard work, but I think hard work comes as a double-edged sword because of that message that you must work hard to achieve everything and anything. I also internally believed that my worth came from my hard work, that if mm -hmm. I didn't work hard, if I didn't achieve the things, if I didn't get the accolades, if I didn't get the A's in my report card, the high distinctions, if I didn't get those things, that would somehow mean I was worthless. And this would have been like mid-20s, I would have had that conversation with my dad. And I realized lots of people work hard. Lots of people make their way up the corporate career ladder and they're miserable. <laughs> they're mm -hmm. miserable, mean people. Um, and I think it took a bit of working in different environments to realize that, to be confronted with that reality. So I sat there thinking, okay, I don't want to be that miserable person. I want to be happy. I want to, I don't want my job to be the, everything in my life. I don't want it to yeah. consume me. 
Um, so I did a, a lot of soul searching after that conversation and really sat down with my husband and said, okay, what do we want to achieve with this life that we have? Like we, we come with immense privilege. We're both educated. We're both able to earn good money. What are we going to do with all this? Because it's quite a blessing and I don't want to just squander it. And so, yeah, the last 10 years have pretty much been a journey of me being very intentional about the type of work that I enter into, uh, the type of clients that I take on when I'm freelancing, even the type of organizations that I want to apply for a job to. I am very intentional about that, not just with the purpose and mission of what that organization is, but also the type of lifestyle that I want to live. What I'm trying to do is design a life. Like you said, I'm leaving, I'm able to use my talents, my gifts, my time to leave the world a better place than how I found it. What's curious to me, Joy, is when you sat down with your husband and really soul searched and said, what do we want to do with ourselves? What did you come up with? Oh, you know, what did it look like? That's a, you know, that's a tough conversation. It's and it, look, it wasn't just one conversation. It was many conversations because I think at the beginning it was all the kind of tacticals. I don't want to say superficial, but I, I guess in a way it is like, you know, uh, we want to earn enough to live a comfortable life. At the time, we didn't own a house. So one of the, our goals was we wanted to be able to own our own house one day. Mm-hmm. We also wanted to be able to spend time with our kids. We wanted to be a, to be able to go on holidays. We wanted to spend time with our extended family. We wa- mm-hmm. Like both of us love traveling. We wanted to continue traveling together. And so we listed kind of those things. And I did my, I did a very like primary school, like brainstorm with a a big piece of paper. And I was just like jotting things down. And then I did look at it and it was good to have a visual representation of all these things that both of us wanted to achieve. I kind of then went a little bit deeper and I said, okay, Mm -hmm. if we want to be able to go on holidays with our kids, if we want to be able to spend an afternoon with them after work, then that means a nine to five in the city, an hour and a half away from where we live probably Mm. isn't ideal. (laughs) The other thing that wouldn't be ideal is a super high pressure job that would require either of us to have to take work home with us, log in Mm -hmm. and be like on demand every single day to have a job where it would be almost impossible to take leave would Mm -hmm. be completely counterintuitive to the type of life that we wanted to live. And so those things became clear the more specific we got about how we wanted to spend our time. And then I started to get more specific too about things that I had wanted that perhaps I hadn't really thought about because I got really sucked into the rat race that is a full-time job and mothering children. Yeah. And I sat there going, okay, what are some of the things that I had always wanted to do but just have never gotten around to? And so I just jotted them down. It's like, okay, well, I, I want to make art again because I remember I loved being creative uh, and I never get a chance to anymore. I wanted to be able to write books like because I know there's a book in me. I just haven't written it yet. So I was like, okay, well, put that down and have that down. Uh, I genuinely believe those little desires that whisper away in our heart and in our mind, they're there for a reason. I think we get caught up in the busyness and distraction of what is essentially manufactured stress because let's mm-hmm. face it, that's that's what a lot of life is. And we forget those things that we're actually put on earth here to do that is unique and incredible and amazing because we're distracted by all the tactical stuff. Yeah, and and I think I've had so many conversations with people around the once you meet your survival needs, Mm. then really what more do you need? And that's where that opens up the space to 
be creative. What I want to really dive into is you mentioned the the desires and the whispers in our hearts. Mm. How do you tune into that? And what are the challenges that you had when you were starting to lean into writing a list of the things that you desired versus a list of the things that you felt that you should doing Mm, oh yeah and it's a competing thing because and I don't know if it's the same with everyone but it's certainly the case for me that I have almost two inner voices where it's like (laughs) it's like my inner happy like dreamy child just like oh let's go try this and then the practical critical rational part of me is like go earn a living (laughs) (laughs) and the reality of having you know to pay a mortgage and all the bills and all the things that come with it like that's that's still there and it's still real and I'm and thankfully, like we were discussing this earlier, like my, my husband's a bit of a nerd. So he's the, he, he is the rational rock in our household who kind of <laughs> takes me, brings me back to reality and reminds me, yes, those are great dreams. Don't let go of them, but also make sure you're still fulfilling your duties of this, this, and this. And I guess to your question about how do you tune into it? Well, I'll tell you a part of that 10 year journey that I've been on. One one big aspect of my life is my faith, but I'd be lying if, if I said it wasn't a huge part of my life. I think one thing I'm very grateful for in my faith is that there are moments in the rhythms of my life where I'm forced to stop and slow down. One of those places is Sunday mass because it's like one of the few times of my week where it's like, no, you will put your phone away. You will focus only on the thing that is happening right in front of you, whether or not you find it boring and just sit there and be. <laughs> and yeah. I remember as a kid, I used to hate it and find it intensely boring. And now even as a mother with young children, it's still stressful because I'm still there trying to shush my children. Mm-hmm. But there have been definitely times, in the, especially in the last 10 years, where I've just, even with a, if it's not Sunday Mass, I've gone to a church and I've just sat there and just allowed myself that time to just sit and be. And I remember mm-hmm. there was this, a giant tapestry in my primary school that I used to walk past on the way to the, the afternoon bus and it was in the middle of this corridor and it just said, be still and know that I'm God. And I feel like there is a deep wisdom that whether you have faith or not, of being still. There is deep value that comes with the stillness and quiet and allowing yourself to tune into that whisper because there is a lot of noise around us. Sometimes that noise comes from the pressure of family and the internal voices that we were raised with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that noise comes from the busyness and the demands of work. Sometimes that noise comes from the media and like the doom scrolling that I am definitely (laughs) doom scrolling, (laughs) you know, like sitting there like, oh, like stimulus after stimulus after reel after Mm -hmm. reel, you know. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of noise. I've realized, especially now, if I do not allow myself time to be still, it weakens me. My still time, my quiet time is my mental training time. It's That's so beautiful in so many ways. Um, you know, you wrote the be still and just know that I am God. Yeah. What you've effectively said is what people have packaged into mindfulness. Yeah. Or um, meditation. Yeah. I mean, you've distilled it into this is my safe space to just be. And, and that sort of in my mind, as you were talking about that, it went through the manufactured stress. Like I'm really <laughs> sitting on that, the manufactured stress, which and the idea of 
busy. Yep. How do you feel about busy culture? Oh, I, I struggle with it. I am usually a busy person. I like doing lots of different things. Like I just have yeah. a lot of interests and then I go down different paths and I place my <laughs> yeses too freely, probably. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like, oh, pretty shiny thing. Yes, let's go. <laughs> but at the same time, what I have learned about myself is that I have the power to decide what I say yes to and what I say no to. And I can say no and no is a full sentence. <laughs> What I have learnt and what I has to have to remind myself daily is that we all get exactly the same amount of time every day, no more, no less. And if I devote too much of my time on things that don't matter, that are things that don't leave a good legacy, that on things that in a year or two from now really won't bear any fruit, then what a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. I can, though, invest my time, just like you would invest money, into things that grow, into things that build, into things that create a better world, Mm -hmm. and that I can look back and be proud of. It's a big countercultural thing to be able to do that because I know, like like, we were talking about manufactured stress, so many of the deadlines that we believe exist, someone has just made up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, okay, I struggle with that because I know, you know, especially in the business world, especially in, in, you know, privatized organizations, Mm -hmm. there is this push for growth, which usually means more money, which usually means more work, which usually means more time. But, and so I think, okay, but why? Tell me (laughs) why, why is it worth I mean, I know you want to make more money, but is mm-hmm. it worth my time for you to make more money? I don't know. And sometimes it is, sometimes it will be, but sometimes it's not, it's really not. I have had to learn when I am allowed to push back and go, actually, as much as you want to do this, this other thing in my life, like my kid getting his vice captain badge, me being able to watch one of them in run their cross country, that's not going to make me any money, but that's still more going to be more important. I want to invest my time in that. Being conscious of manufactured stress is probably the most, the most important the, the thing. The most important thing. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like you're just inside my brain. <laughs> just like, I'm like, just keep talking because it's exactly what I'm, I'm thinking as well, which is kind of bad in an echo chamber perspective type of thing. It's like we're just talking, you know, to, to, to the <laughs> people who agree with already. us. Yeah, sorry. so So let me be the devil's advocate here. Mm, yeah. What were the good parts of being involved in big organization, rat race? And where do you sit with maybe it's a good thing to make heaps of money? Again, where do you find the balance? Yeah, one thing I will say that I've learned from some really great successful organizations is that I've learned the value of one, taking a big vision and a big dream and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces and resourcing accordingly. You You can do a lot of things, but you don't have to do all of them at once. In fact, you shouldn't do all of them at once. Also, I've learned the value of surrounding yourself with really good people because Mm -hmm. you cannot actually do it all. And the best leaders that I've ever worked with are people who are really good at the thing that they do, but are 100% aware of the fact that there are about a million other things that they are terrible at. And then they Mm -hmm. go and recruit people who are really good at those things. They know that every cog of that machine is intentional and and capable and they trust them to go and do it. That's what makes a good team. And when there is a person who isn't doing the best in that role, it's not a slight on that person. It's just that they might not be the right person for that specific job. 
and that mm-hmm. there are probably is going to be a different person who's going to be great for that job. And that that person who is in that job at the moment probably has a different job that they're going to go and crush somewhere else. But in terms of having to balance that idea of the reality that things cost money, <laughs> which is really <laughs> yes. what it comes down to. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it is important for all of us to be able to work hard, earn what we can and use that money in the way that we feel is right to be able to either live the life that we want or to contribute in the way that we want. You know, any of the nonprofit stuff that I work on, I couldn't mm-hmm. do that were it not for the fact that I was earning money in other capacities. But I would caution people, especially the young people that I mentor now, is to caution them to make sure they don't fall into the trap of thinking that is the end deal, that that is the money is a means to an end. Your job is, well, for me anyway, it's the thing that fuels the other things that I want to do. And in the ideal world, you can make money in a way that uses your talent and skills and some of your passion. Uh, That would be great. For some people that can't. That can't happen and that's fine. (laughs) That's a beautiful segue actually into what I wanted to speak with you next about is you've actually managed to do that. Yes. (laughs) You've found a way to use your skills, your talents and your passions and support yourself and your family financially. How did you do it? Oh man, (laughs) it's still a work in progress. I tell you what, like, so the post we met, we talked about earlier, I posted that because I was in the middle of this, again, another soul searching <laughs> transition part of my career. I had left my part-time job and it was partly because I was burnt out. And then I spent a good three months doing a lot of self-awareness digging, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> so I did strengths tests. I spoke to a lot of different people to ask them, what do you do for work and why do you like it? Tell me more about your day-to-day job. What don't you like about it? I did a lot of digging um, to work out, okay, is the job that I think I want actually the job that I want? And the only way to find that is either to do it or to ask people who are in it and for them to tell you the like what it's really like. The reality, <laughs> the of, reality of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, did, I spent a lot of time doing that. And if we'd had this conversation a year ago, I would have been very much in this uh, limbo where because I didn't I really didn't know what I wanted to do I knew the things that brought me joy and I knew mm-hmm. the type of work that made me happy and part of learning that was actually a very intentional process of me uh, writing down okay in the jobs that you have had what are the projects that you were most proud of what are the moments of the day where you're like yes I am achieving that and I love it <laughs> And for a lot of us, those don't necessarily happen that often. But if you can distill really what that is, then you can, you're more intentional about pursuing what that is. For me, there were two key things. One is I've always been a storyteller. I've always loved the power of stories, the power of images and words. And so in every job that I've had, there has always been some aspect of storytelling, whether it's interviewing people, writing about people, and there's always been an aspect of design and and artistic creativity. Um, And if if it hasn't been written in my job description, I just do it. (laughs) So so even if I wasn't meant to do it, I would find myself gravitating towards it. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. clearly if I'm gravitating towards it, then that's something that makes me happy. The second thing is I love 
passing on knowledge, I am so incredibly satisfied when I see someone else's eyes light up. They've had this aha moment. Maybe it's a resource that I've given them. It could be something that I've written. It could be a presentation that we're doing, a workshop, whatever it is. Suddenly something in their life has changed because either the way they've seen something or the way they would approach something, like it's they've had some sort of insight. So I took those two things and said, okay, if I've got those two things that I'm looking out for in any role, what are the jobs that I could potentially do that fit those two things in? Yeah. Every bit of work that I have taken on has one or both elements of that. Part of that is obviously my own business, which is creating, you know, beautiful artwork, using a lot of color, using letters Mm -hmm. and words to create designs. There's also running workshops with people so that they can exercise their own creativity. Because I think in a lot of corporate settings, people don't get an opportunity to be creative. Mm But then suddenly, you know, management will say, we need to innovate and we need to do this. (laughs) And, you know, if you haven't practiced trying to create and then failing and then creating and then failing, creating and failing, Mm -hmm. being innovative is going to be really hard. It's like a muscle. If you don't exercise a muscle, you're going to be pretty damn rusty. And, um, and yeah, more recently, a lot of my work is, is actually going to schools and organizations and running workshops with them. So I've been able to kind of craft a life where not only have I found jobs that I didn't even know existed (laughs) that allow me to use my strengths, but also in a way where I'm not feeling so overwhelmed by the other work that is distracting and annoying and actually doesn't bring me energy. And and is not meaningful to you by the sounds of it. Yeah. You've reverse engineered your life simply by looking inwards first. Yeah. So rather than kind of just following this blind pathway of, okay, to be successful, I need to find the job that makes me the most money. Yeah. The job that is corporate the one that everybody, all my titos and my titas are going to be like, wow, you're amazing. Look at your job. Look at all the money you make. You wear great suits to, suits work, to work, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. you look successful and you travel yeah. to the city and, yeah. and all that type of stuff. The, the theme that really is running in my mind in speaking with you is you looked inside and yes, it took a moment for that to happen. But you took that moment as a catalyst to make the change. People that I know have had those moments but didn't see it as a catalyst for reflection or for change. Joy, what is it about you? Oh, look, I'm stubborn. So (laughs) don't think it took one catalyst. (laughs) It took many. (laughs) It took many, but what is it about you that you are so open to looking inside? That's a really deep question. Challenging yourself and questioning everything that you grew up believing. I think I've been pretty perceptive from a very young age. I distinctly remember when I was really young, my dad was uh, was annoyed at me because I wasn't obeying rules. And he would <laughs> say, do, do as I say, not as I do. Mm. And I lo- just looked at him going, well, that's just dumb. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I got in trouble for saying that. But I refused to take at face value what was offered to me because I think I don't know. I could, I think I could tell if someone, if something was true or not. And I reckon we all kind of have that. I, I actually think from a young age, we have a pretty good bullshit radar. I, I'm grateful that I had other women, especially my siblings, mm-hmm. who were strong women who showed me that there were other ways of succeeding in the world. If I think of all the amazing artists that you and I would have grown up with, mm-hmm. all the women of colour especially who were making it in the music industry, for example, suddenly there were all these examples of people who were already questioning the status quo. Mm-hmm. 
And I saw people who weren't questioning the status quo, who were just really miserable. I said, <laughs> yeah. if, if you take a look at any sort of media and anything that we're also bombarded with from a young age, mm -hmm. especially as women, like the message constantly is there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. Go mm -hmm. buy this product, fix it. Uh, wear this shapewear, fix it. And all the stuff that was offered to us to fix it was external. And if it all worked, then all of like the entire industry would be out of business because none of the <laughs> yeah, external right. stuff works. Like, yeah, it's that constantly telling people that there's something wrong with them so that they would be able to buy a product. To buy a product, yeah. What, I, I'm going to lean into the intuition thing. Yeah, okay. Because yep. you brought it up. I also feel that everybody has an innate intuition and we ignore it for whatever reasons. Mm. What are your thoughts on that statement firstly? Agree, disagree? Um, I think yes. I think we all, we, we absolutely all have an inner voice. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think we all ignore it. I think it depends on the environment we grew up with and whether mm -hmm. it was safe to listen to it. Ah. So I, what I'm realizing is in my family and my culture, what I grew up with was the message that what I wanted and what I thought was not as important as what older people wanted and what older people thought. Mm -hmm. And so I was almost trained to ignore my inner voice. But luckily for me, my inner voice is stubborn and feisty. So it just kept, <laughs> it just kept talking. <laughs> you told me um, when we first spoke, you told me a really great story about your sisters. Um, and I think it's part of your keynote that you talk about. I just want the audience to hear it because I think it's really great. Um, it, you know which one I'm talking about. Their yeah, careers? So yes, yeah. Could you, <laughs> it was like the best thing yeah. I've heard in a long time. Oh my gosh. Okay. So yes, it is part of my keynote. So like I mentioned, a lot of immigrant families experience this where it's just like your parents have come from a poor family or they get to Australia, like work hard, make the most of all your education and all the privilege that we have just worked hard for you to have. And so the the message I had, which I know is very common for Asian families, is there's the following <laughs> careers are acceptable. Anything medicine, but ideally doctor. Then there's finance, work in banking, be an accountant, earn all the monies, go invest. Then there's science, then there's STEM. And I am the youngest of, of five. So I've got four mm -hmm. older sisters. And I would have been 10 or 11 when the eldest sister chose her university degree now she mm -hmm. was always really nurturing she was oldest she was unbelievably smart she's she is still is she just finished her phd she's incredible she decided to be a doctor so <laughs> there's the first tick and i was always compared to all of my sisters but i i always will always remember titos and titos going oh your sister's gonna be a doctor that's so impressive that's so good what are you gonna be do you like like are you just as smart and i'm like i'm not i'm not as smart so I'm really not. anyway then the second sister went to university she ended up being an accountant so there's the finance tick <laughs> My third sister, the way I perceived it when I was younger was, well, she's always been the sociable, relatable type, always knows how people tick. She ended up graduating with a master's of psychology. So there's the STEM. And then my fourth sister, so like genius smart, like I actually thought she was going to be an illustrator because she was very artistic, but she ended up starting IT. She didn't finish it, but by that point my path was set. And so my older sisters had kind of ticked off the, those things. And so my parents were like, well, you're talkative and stubborn. The best career option, if you're going to make money out of that, is go be a lawyer. And so, <laughs> like, you know, I got the marks to get into, into law and I started a double degree in law and then got into my second year and realized very quickly that if you want to finish a law degree, you actually have to care 
<laughs> and you have to study and I <laughs> was just lost in so many of my classes and I could I remember having this epiphany in one of my classes um, because we were talking about jurisprudence and the power that law and policy can have mm-hmm. to change the world <laughs> I remember sitting there going I want to change the world, but this is not how I'm going to change the world. This is not, <laughs> yeah, not it. With this is not how I'm doing it. I mean, it's that whole idea, though, of like if you're a girl and you're outspoken, <laughs> oh, dare yeah. I say, bossy, yep. that just makes you a lawyer. Yeah. And, and the connotation that people have with lawyers is argumentative. Yep. And I think, well, we, we need to switch that mindset yeah. around oh, a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. So I want to start wrapping up, Joy, because you and I try to make a vow to try to get this all the way through. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get there, but heck, whatever. Um, there's two kind of things that I really want to touch on. But the first one is, can you just go ahead and tell the world how cool you are? Where oh, to gosh. find you? How you can help the world and how you can help people in their world? Oh, thank you. So if, you, if you're after creative things and you love art and you love calligraphy or anything bright and colourful, then you can find me and findingjoy.com.au. So there's a good play on my name. <laughs> um, you can also find me on the socials at findingjoyau. Love doing the creative stuff with people and teaching people how to do it because I find so much happiness in being creative and I want everyone to find that happiness too. Uh, if you want help with your own organization and how you present your stories to the world, then you can find me on LinkedIn under Joy Dan or you can find me at joydanwrites.com. There are a lot of things that I support. One of the things that I am a big advocate for is mental health support, especially Mm -hmm. for parents. Uh, I am a Gidget Foundation ambassador. And for those of you who don't know, Gidget Foundation provides perinatal mental health support for expecting parents, both mums and dads. And uh, I'm also a board member for this amazing organization called the Hustle Society. They are a basketball training facility that's based out in Minchinbury in Western Sydney, but they also have a co-working space and a community gathering space and it's growing, which is really amazing. And it's built for community. The reason why it's called the Hustle Society is actually for the exact reason we were talking about today. We want to rewrite what hustle culture is because Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, especially those who who've grown up where we've grown up Raya and who've also grown up in similar families. We know there's a hustle that exists for the people who came before us and for the people who come after us. We work hard for our community. And then there's the hustle that's self-serving and destructive. Mm-hmm. And we want to plug that first hustle where we're, we're working our butt off to make a better world. So yeah, those are all the things. So this is just another way that our world intersects and like, so anyone who's listened to this, this is completely like just out of nowhere is I started playing basketball again at the Hustle <laughs> Society. Amazing. <laughs> hashtag first subs. Oh, um, yeah. So hashtag first subs. I started playing scrimmage basketball again as a 40 year old and I'm loving it. And that it is, is awesome. a female organization trying to empower other females, but also as an exercise physiologist, I'm very acutely aware that women do drop out of sport yeah. because of a many, many different factors. And this has given me an opportunity to, we spoke about things that make you happy and things that we love to do and, and want to spend time doing. And basketball has been one of those things that has been so gone from my life for such a long time. Mm. 
and um, First Subs and the Hustle Society was able to bring all that joy back in playing. Oh, that makes again. my heart <laughs> so happy, Raya. That but is... I want to thank you for creating and having that space along with Wayne and some of the other people yeah. down there who, who do what you guys do. So there you go. Inadvertently, you've actually brought joy into my life. Yay. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you one really pointed question in all the stuff that we've spoken about in the 10 years of reflection that you've had in your life, in the downs, the ups, the surrounding yourself by community. Would you say that you are happy and or successful? Yes, yes, because I know that I was made on purpose for a purpose. I know that inherently in my soul. And even though I get things wrong along the way, I can still journey towards working out that purpose and live it every day. And if I live it with intention and faith and to bring love and goodness to wherever I'm planted on any given day, then yeah, I'm going to be successful and happy. I had a meeting with a director the other day who was like, what are your career aspirations? <laughs> and, and I had to laugh because I was very blunt and I said, I know if, if I wanted to be a CEO, if I wanted to be a seven digit earning executive, I know I could do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. I just want to do work that makes my heart happy, where I can use what I've been given to make other people's worlds better. That's mm-hmm. what I'm here to do. And with that, Joy, I want to say thank you so much for spending time on a recording and spreading your love and joy to the world. Thank you for having me and thanks for listening, everyone. The Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is a 3 Sticks production. It is produced, written and hosted by me, Ria Mercado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing and editing and is the talent behind all our original music. 